Locked on Longhorns, the show, Jonathan Davis, your host. We are getting closer and closer to the Red River shootout. And I got another exceptional guest for you, my boy, Preston Gant, host of the PG show and resident Sooner fan. Preston, I got to ask you, y'all told me y'all upgraded, man, when, when y'all got rid of, uh, of Lincoln Riley. And uh, y'all told me y'all upgraded with Jeff Levy and, and Dylan Gabriel over uh, you know, Caleb Williams and, and Brent Venables over Lincoln Riley. And thus far in the Brent Venables era, Oklahoma is three and two unranked and zero and two in conference play. So before we talk about Jeff Lebby and Brent Venables specifically, I have to ask, what is the pulse of the Sooner fan base right now? Because I know this is not what a lot of y'all are used to by any means. Yeah, no. So I uh, just recently did a video on this because there's an interesting question that's floating around the fan base right now. And it's the question that a lot of people in the media had. Um, and I think a lot of uh, OU fans had, which is, is Brent Venables the right guy for the job? We saw this in the John Blake era where, you know, OU hired on a motion. They hired, you know, their their guy and it didn't turn out well. Um, I do think this is going to be a different turnout from the John Blake era because of just what, who Brent Venables is, the staff that he brought in and things like that. However, you've got to give it time because what a lot of OU fans were saying and uh, what a lot, what's, what's been missed over is you've got to change the culture in this program. And the reason why it was an upgrade from Lincoln Riley was because you heard of things last year, like in Bedlam where, the guys were on the sidelines in that game texting or they had their phones out in the middle of a game in one of your biggest rivalry games of the year. Uh, I wouldn't say it's bigger than Texas, but it's one of your biggest. And things like that can't happen. Uh, the strength and conditioning was soft. You know, the way that Alex Grinch was running the defense, it works in a place like the Pac-12 where he came from, and you can obviously is working now, it's not going to work here in the Big 12, especially with teams that are just a little bit bigger. Uh, they can get a little bit more talent. And then obviously you saw it when we went to the playoffs, oh, you would just get dominated. And so it's got to be a complete 180 culture change here. You've got to be able to get guys in here and not do what you saw last Saturday where, oh my gosh, we're giving up. 600 yards of total offense and just kind of slump their shoulders down. And, you know, it's, it's back to what it was last year. No, like they need to continue playing hard every snap, every down understanding that you're never going to be perfect, but you will always progress. And that's what Nick Saban has instilled in his program. So well, it is the, we're never going to be perfect, but there will always be something we can take from a game and progress on and get better at. And that's the kind of mentality that Venables and Bates and Chavis are, they're going to instill in this. Additionally, you're working with 40 new players, whether it's from the transfer portal or from the recruiting class. And along with the 40 or 50 guys that were already here anyways from last season. So it's hard to implement a new scheme when you're bringing in that many new guys that don't have chemistry with the old guys. And then you're implementing a new scheme for the old guys to learn it. When the, when there's not that chemistry there uh, it, it's harder talking to a couple of the guys on the defense, not going to name drop them because I'm not going to call out players, but they have talked about specifically how their communication on 
knowing where to be and things like that is just not there yet. Right. And that comes from, you know, being able to play with each other longer, develop that chemistry and understand Brent Venable's schemes. So I don't know if maybe, you know, Ted Roof and those guys need to bring it down a notch on in terms of the defense and make it a little bit more simple as these guys learn how to communicate with each other and play with each other on the field because we're playing a little bit harder of a competition. You don't have room for mistakes as we've seen in in the previous two weeks. So it will get better. It is an upgrade, but it's not a rebuilding year. I've heard a lot of OU fans say, oh, we're in a rebuilding year. No, it's not a rebuilding year. We OU is one of those programs where we retool, right? Alabama does the same thing. You retool. You don't rebuild, right? Rebuilding is what you would expect Baylor to do or Oklahoma State to do or whatever. No, we're able to go out there and get the top-tier talent every year. That's just retooling. So we're not in a rebuilding year. However, we are in a year where we're changing the culture. And it will happen, but it takes time. As far as the offense goes with Jeff Lebby, his system is super complicated. You know, you see receivers go out there and uh, they don't look like they're running their routes right. Again, it takes time for them to learn this offense, learn the scheme. Remember, this is only this coaching staff's fifth game together. So... And with with these players, you you can look great and practice all day long in your spring games, but it's completely different when you're playing against somebody on the other side of the field that is there to lay you out. Right. It's completely different. So ultimately, these guys just have to build a chemistry together. They need to be able to hit the film room a little bit more, you know, and once they do that, you're going to see an Oklahoma team that is dangerous like they have been in the past on the offensive side of the ball where they can go down there and score really quickly. But then also they can control time of possession when they need to. Additionally, you're going to see the defense become just as strong as they have been at Clemson. One thing to note, Brent Venables at Clemson took two years before that Clemson defense became any good, right? He has to be able to get his own guys in there. Luckily, he was able to partially do that in this last recruiting cycle, and he's able to do that now in 2023. And in 2024, that's when OU really expects to have the good recruiting cycle, that one that's potentially a top three recruiting class. So, but yeah, that, that's where we're at. And, you know, the feeling amongst the players right now, uh, there's a little bit of sadness because they really wanted to go out there and win national championship. But however, they are ready to go back out there. They're ready to play hard. You know, you hear the guys talk about, Hey, like, you know, Brent Venables is the guy, like we love him. Uh, they love what he's doing for them. Just, Uh, not as football players, but as men off the field as well. So when you hear those kind of things, you know the program's going in the right direction. But because we're not used to something like this, it it freaks a lot of Sooner fans out. Yeah, I have to say Sooner fans are definitely in shambles because I asked Preston to – Pulse of the fan base, and he gave me a seven-minute scouting report on the team. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I did not even asked about that yet, but all right, that makes sense. So uh, as far as the pulse of the Longhorn fan base, I guess we'll, we'll say we're cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, I think that we came into the season with a lot of expectations, and after the way we played against Alabama, uh, those expectations seem to be validated, right? When you play the number one team in the country at that point, I think they're back at number one now uh, after Georgia almost lost, almost lost to Missouri. When you play them to a one-point game with your backup quarterback, it makes you feel like you can play with anybody in the country. And then subsequently after that, uh, you don't play up to your standard against UTSA or Texas Tech, and you're able to escape UTSA with the win. You weren't as fortunate against Texas Tech, but then you come back and you take a 28-point lead on uh, West Virginia and pretty much you know in that game before it even starts. 
And, and so this is a Texas team that hasn't went back to back games yet. And so um, I think a lot of people feel as though this Texas team may be better than their record. You know, they, they feel like they may have started off slow because you lose, you know, Quinn Ewers, uh, Isaiah Nayor, a, a junior angle out all serious injuries, especially to your starting quarterback. But I still feel like, and I think this Texas team feels as though, you know, although the Texas Tech was a bad loss and there's been a trend as far as blowing double digit halftime or fourth quarter leads thus far in the Steve Sarkeesian era, most Texas fans feel like when Quinn Ewers comes back and is healthy at quarterback for the Longhorns, then they should still be uh, one of the favorites. Although the Big 12 is looking better than most people thought, uh, they should still be one of the two teams that ends up uh, in the Big 12 championship game at uh, in December in Arlington Preston. I'm going to ask you, uh, what are your honest thoughts? I know you kind of already talked about it, but um, what are your how would you grade? I know you said it's going to take time and you could say that, you know, about Sark last year when he went five and seven. Right. Like it's obviously you didn't expect to go five and seven, but it takes time to really put your footprint and your handprint on a program. But through five games, it hasn't looked great. So how would you grade Jeff Libby and Brent Venables through the first five games of the season? Yeah, so I'm going to break it up. Uh, the first three games, I would give them about a B. Uh, I, th I thought I thought they did some good things. Uh, but it was really hard to tell where the team was at because things that we were hearing from the locker room and from the coaches, it's a very vanilla offense, very vanilla defense. We're not ready to open up the playbooks yet, right? So I'd give it a B just because we weren't really able to see what the team looked like at full capacity like we normally would, right? And it's understandable, right? As a new coaching staff, you want to hold your playbook a little bit because you don't want to give tape to the Kansas States and the TCU and the Texas before you have to go play them. Now, the last two games, I give them an F because it, the the play calling doesn't make sense, right? Uh, with, uh, specifically about the defense. I don't understand the 3-3-5, especially against Kansas. It doesn't make sense to me. You're incentivizing the defense to run the ball, but you don't have the right personnel to be able to go out there and effectively run the 3-3-5. Now, I'm not a coach, so maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what the thinking in that locker room is, but... When you look at it, Isaiah Coe is the only true nose tackle on this team, right? Jalen Redman, Jeffrey Johnson, those guys are not nose tackles. So Isaiah Coe can't play the whole game. Additionally, your Deshaun White at the cheetah role, it looked good the first three games, but these past two games have showed that he might be better as a linebacker, and it might be better to put a true freshman in Kanak at that cheetah role. I don't understand why we're not seeing some of these really talented freshmen on the field. Again, not being a coach in that locker room, I you know I, I might not understand the reasoning why. But Robert Spears Jennings, I feel like he should be playing in the secondary. I mean, he's really talented. Look at how far he moved up in the two four seven rankings, in you know those last couple months. All right, he was a highly recruited guy in those last couple months by several schools, and so that on the defensive side, that's kind of what you know, has just drove me crazy. On the offensive side of the ball with Jeff Lebby, it's, and you saw this with the Kansas State game, he is trying to come out a little too conservative, trying to think, okay, like, what am I going to be able to get away with in this game? And it's like, no, start out hot. Go hit Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss and those guys for those passes. Take the deep shots. Instead, they're just wanting to run it on first, second, and third down, and or, you know, run it on first and second, and then maybe throw a longer pass to Drake Stoops, which... I'm like, that's so predictable. Anybody can predict that. So 
I didn't understand the slow starts because when you give somebody, when you get off to a slow start and somebody else gets that opportunity to uh, get ahead of you, all of a sudden, you know, they gain momentum. And I felt like that hurt us a lot. Yeah, definitely. A quick word from Underdog Fantasy, and then we're going to talk about the four potential quarterbacks that might start in this game. Crazy stuff uh, in the Red River shootout on Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up college football. It's easy to play and available in over 30 states. Just pick between two and five players across any team, not just your team, and decide if they will finish higher or lower. One of the easiest fantasy to play games out there, and you can win cold, hard cash in a single game. Sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Yes, deposit $100 and get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store slash Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. All right, Preston. So Dylan Gabriel, uh, the transfer from UCF, has started uh, the first five games for the Sooners, but was knocked out uh, on a vicious and dirty hit, uh, in my opinion, in the TCU game. And there's some question about whether uh, he might start on Saturday. So talk about uh, Dylan Gabriel, what he's looked like uh, through the first four and some change games for you all. And then talk about what this Oklahoma game might look like this Texas Oklahoma game might look like for you all if you have to start the backup. Yeah. So I don't like the criticism that Dylan Gabriel has got over the past four weeks. I get it. He misses passes sometimes that make you go, Oh my gosh. But on the whole, this guy is throwing for 63.9% completion percentage. He's thrown for over 1200 yards averaging 9.1 yards a play. He's thrown for 11 touchdowns. And mind you, this guy has been able to show off his running skills as well. I think OU fans are so tied up in the athletes that we've had in the past, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts um, or Caleb Williams. I shoot, I think you could even put Spencer Rattler in there just because of the arm that he had. And maybe if he had a really good offensive line in front of him, which he still does not have in South Carolina, you could have seen that man do really special things here in Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel, I would think is a tier below them. And I think it, OU fans don't see like, I don't think they see the difference and they expect Dylan Gabriel to be those guys. And it's going to impact this team a lot because Dylan Gabriel is from Jeff Levy's offense. Jeff Levy created Dylan Gabriel to who he was in 2019 and 2020, right? To throw for over 3,500 yards a season, you know, throw for 30, 29 uh, and 29 touchdowns in 2019 and 32 in 2020, right? The only thing that this man didn't have at UCF was an offensive line. And he has a little bit better of an offensive line here. That was my concern going into the season was, hey, if, if, the, if the offensive line can protect Dylan Gabriel, then you're going to have a very, very serviceable quarterback. Not saying he's going to be those guys here at Oklahoma that have been a tier one quarterback, but he might be scratching that surface. And I was really excited to come into this OU and Texas OU Texas game and see these matchups, right? The Quinn Ewers versus the Dylan Gabriel, the Theo Weiss 
versus Xavier Worthy or Marvin Mims versus Xavier Worthy or Nayer or uh, Drake Stoops versus, you know, um, oh, what's his name? Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end, right? Because you guys had a really good year from the transfer portal, plus what you guys were able to retain from last year in Xavier Worthy and Bijan Robinson. I was really excited for this matchup because Texas has up and down the board the athletes to go compete at a really high level every single year. And we saw that against Alabama, which this is my note on this is, you know, OU and Texas are very similar in this way. They play to their competition. And usually after they play a very emotional game like that, you usually see them follow up the next couple games with a loss because that's just who they are. Both OU and Texas are suspect of that every single year. I look at it when we come out of that OU Texas game with a win and I'm just like, When's that loss coming? Because, you know, that's just who OU is. And, you know, I've seen multiple years to Texas. They go through an emotional game, whether they win or lose, and then they're trying to ride that high. They think they're playing better than they are, and then they play down to their competition. And that's something that is a cultural fix for both programs that I think is going to be pretty hard to fix. I mean, yeah, I'm sad. <laughs> I'm sad that, you know, we're not going to get to see Dylan Gabriel. I, I don't feel like he's going to return, especially with all of the things that are circulating around college football and the NFL with concussions, with what's been going on with Tua and the Miami Dolphins. If Dylan Gabriel plays in this game, uh, I would be very suspect that if he gets hit again, uh, you're going to see something similar like that. Additionally, I'm a little worried for Quinn Ewers as well. I'm, I'm hoping that the Texas staff really does think he's ready to return because uh, what I saw in that Alabama game is very similar to what we saw with Sam Bradford where, you know, and we brought him back too early. He got hurt in that OU Texas game. And let's be honest, his career was never the same again. So um, ultimately, like I'm, I'm, if, if, I'm just sad that the two offenses are not going to come in at uh, – you know, full health, uh, full strength, and be able to come in there and just up the score a little bit. Ultimately, I think if Dylan Gabriel doesn't play in this game and you have to go with Davis Davis Bevel or General Booty, it's going to be a slow offense, Uh, and especially against a Texas defense that is extremely athletic and has the talent to go out there and compete with the best athletes day in and day out. No, I, I absolutely uh, agree. And, and it's a shame that, like you said, uh, you have to talk about, you know, Quinn Ewers probably coming in after missing uh, the last almost four games and then Dylan Gabriel possibly missing this game. And that's the matchup we talked about all offseason. But really, you just want uh, both teams to be at full strength, right? You want to see teams be able to battle it out on the field. And you don't want those what ifs, right? Texas in their last two games about against Alabama has a what if, right? And we'll always have that what if. I don't want Sooner fans after we beat them on Saturday talking about, well, Dylan Gabriel didn't play. You know, I don't want to have that conversation. But when you look at Texas' quarterback situation, um, I think it's, you know, it shouldn't be a question, but I, I think Hudson Carr played well enough to make it a question. Like you said, uh, you know, they talked about a four- to six-week injury, and although it's been four weeks, it's been less than a month since Quinn Ewers got hurt. And when you talk about the amount of pain that he was dealing with and his non-throwing shoulder, I would assume that he's still going to be in pain next week. And so um, I think he'll be healthy enough to start, and and I think he gives Texas the best chance to win short-term and long-term. But I also, you know, am concerned, is he going to be 100% healthy? Is he going to be rusty? And, you know, say what you want. I know Alabama is huge, but 
to a lot of people, Oklahoma is still the biggest game on the schedule every year. At worst, it's second, right? And so yeah. this is still a must-win game for both teams. I think neither one of these teams can afford a loss in this game and still try to make it to the Big 12 championship with seven more conference games ahead or eight or – yeah, well – I guess six after this game. It'll be six more conference games after after this game. So both teams need to get a win on Saturday. And I'm a little concerned that, you know, Quinn Ewers has to kind of come in and be the savior, especially since you lost to Texas Tech. Quinn Ewers has to come in in the second biggest game of the season after, you know, being out for three, four games and beat an Oklahoma team, which although they're reeling, it's still Oklahoma, Texas. They're going to come to play. And then Hudson Card. You know, although Quinn Ewers is just objectively a better quarterback than Hudson Card, Hudson Card is coming off of the best game of his career as a Longhorn, and he's gotten better each week. And offense is so much about rhythm and timing, and you'd be a fool to say that Hudson Card doesn't have better rhythm and timing right now than Quinn Ewers, who has yet to play a full football game in college. So I think that's a very interesting decision for Steve Sarkeesian, especially the way that Hudson Card played against uh, West Virginia. I think that Quinn Ewers will start and he should start, but I definitely have some concerns about him still being hurt. One with that injury that was expected to be four to six weeks. And it's been less than a month since it happened. And two, I have some concerns that he's going to be a little rusty um, and there's going to be some timing and some chemistry issues with some receivers. He hasn't really thrown to uh, at a large capacity since before September 10th in the Alabama game. Yeah. And I'll say this, um, and I, I don't know if you agree with me, if I'm the Texas staff and I find out that Dylan Gabriel's not playing in that game, which if I'm Oklahoma, I give Texas this this information right away. If I'm Texas, I don't play Quinn Ewers in that game. If Dylan Gabriel's not playing there, I know that Hudson Card is a serviceable quarterback and that after watching OU struggle with Davis Bevel at quarterback in that second half with TCU, that you should be able to go out there and win that game with just Hudson Card. So the, I... I yeah, but then also at the same time, if I'm OU, I release that information because I think you have a better shot to win that game if Quinn Ewers isn't out there. But I think if you're Texas, you don't roll the dice and put Quinn Ewers in there if you don't have to. Now, if Dylan Gabriel's back at full health, then yes, you need to play Quinn Ewers because that OU offense, as you've been able to see before, even though they have slow starts, they're going to come out guns blazing at some point, and you're going to have to be able to put up points with them. So... It's just a decision that the staff's going to have to make, and I'm glad that we're not in any of those rooms to have to make that decision. Yeah, definitely going to be a, a very interesting decision. I'll say after the way that Red River went last year, you can't leave anything up to chance or take anything for granted. I don't care if, if General Booty, I don't care if Jackson Arnold is starting in this game. Start Quinn Ewers and put 50 on their head. A quick word from the Longhorn Real Estate team, and then we're going to talk about uh, X-Factors for the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns. Dwell in Austin and Hill Country Mortgages have combined to make your Longhorn real estate team. And for all your real estate needs in the Austin area, make sure you're visiting www.longhornrealestateteam.com because in a changing, more complex market, you need to work with the top professionals in Austin. Our data and information-driven approach gives our clients a significant advantage. Decades of experience in all market conditions make us able to achieve the best results for our clients and our clients for years have outperformed the market, leveraging our proprietary research, information, and expertise, which is now more important than ever. Dwell in Austin and Hill Country Mortgages have combined to make your Longhorn real estate team. For all your real estate needs in the Austin area, make sure you're visiting www.longhornrealestateteam.com, Hill Country Mortgages, LLC, NMLS, 232-4262, Jonathan Sarver, NMLS, 993 872 
equal housing opportunity. All right, Preston. So I'm kind of going to you know, put you on blast a little bit. I'm sorry. You're on Locked on Longhorns, so you're always subject to that. We were talking off the record uh, before the episode, and he said if Dylan Gabriel doesn't play this Saturday, then Oklahoma has no chance. He's not saying anything crazy. They didn't have a chance when Dylan Gabriel was going to play, and I'm sure he's not saying anything uh, that Oklahoma fans don't already believe. But, you know, this is still Red River. It's a decade's worth of, you know uh, – one possession games, regardless of the ranking or the current status of the team or the talent level, right? It's just a game that both teams are going to get up for. And we're going to see that on Saturday, regardless of who's starting at quarterback for the Sooners. So if Oklahoma is to win this game, who are two X factor or who is an X factor on each side of the ball? And what is one matchup that they're going to have to exploit to win this game, Preston? Yeah. So, I'm actually going to give you two X factors on the defense because because there's really two here. First one is Ethan Downs on the defensive line. There was a lot of hype for him at the beginning of the season for what he could do and what he could be. He spent a whole summer with Smitty. He got bigger. He got faster. And quite frankly, he has not performed to the level that we thought he would. Nobody has he, on that defense, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, I mean, Reggie Grimes and Jeffrey Johnson have been superstars on the defensive line for us this season, but they've been about it on the defensive line. I would think Ethan Downs, he needs to be able to come off the edge and get to whoever Texas puts at quarterback right away. And he needs to make his presence known. Additionally, Danny Stutzman wants to be a leader on this offense, and he is uh, the second in leading tackles for this team, if I remember correctly. Um, he has got to make a huge impact in this game, and he's got to be able to step up and be able to put people in the right position and overall just make his tackles a little better. I, I know he missed a couple tackles, and it's frustrated a lot of people because you know we saw such great things from him in the first three games. But those two guys, if they play well, this Oklahoma defense is going to come together and if they play well, you're potentially going to see Texas struggle in terms of moving the ball, right? You're going to see a suffocating defense like we'd seen the first three games. Uh, you're not going to see Bijan Robinson break out for huge gains. He might get one or two, but he's not going to be getting those 20-yard runs like some of the other teams have. Those two guys, I feel like, are crucial pieces to our defense because the seniors know what they need to do and Jeffrey Johnson, Jalen Redmond, those guys know what they need to do. They're going to go out there and take care of business. I need those two younger guys to really step up and really make their presence known because they've been missing the past two weeks. Additionally, on the offensive side of the ball, if Dylan Gabriel pay, plays, he's the biggest X factor. And I'm going to put an if there. If he plays, he's the biggest X factor because he's going to be able to have the opportunity. We've seen it before, the past, you know, in those actually for the past five weeks, he can make NFL-style throws. He can put the ball to Marvin Mims where Marvin Mims needs it. But he does have a tendency to overthrow his receivers. Some of that's chemistry. Now, let's just play the hypothetical factor he doesn't play. Um, your biggest X factor is going to be Eric Gray, right? Is Eric Gray going to be able to pound the ball on that Texas defensive line keep time of possession in Oklahoma's hands, right? That's going to be the key here. If Oklahoma can control time of possession, they can slow the offensive possessions for Texas Downs, and they can get some scores up, then Oklahoma's in good shape, right? I don't think they – they still might not win, but they can keep it really close. They're not going to get blown out. Uh, and now there is a chance they could win if they do that. But um, 
if the offense plays really well and the defense plays well, Texas just doesn't have a shot because that defense we've seen this year can be suffocating. But if for the defense is playing mediocre and Eric Gray's out there controlling the time of possession, we're going to be good. Yeah. All right. And what's one matchup you think uh, Oklahoma has to exploit uh, against Texas to win this game? Shoot. Uh, I, I would expect Bowman to be back in this game. Uh, he, he just got hit in the quad on that kickoff return last week. And I think the staff was being just a little bit more cautious. So not, not putting him back in. He was walking around doing a lot of things on the sideline that game. Uh, Bowman on Worthy. That's going to be your matchup. You cannot let Worthy kill you like we did last year. Uh, Bowman it has, or Waddy Washington, whoever they're going to put on him, they have to defend him well. You cannot let that man get out in space. Yeah, no, that's a great uh, answer, and I'm going to segue that into my offensive X Factor, which, of course, is Xavier Worthy. Who right? We have been waiting all season for Xavier Worthy to have a game, and he had his game against West Virginia right on time, right, with two uh, receiving touchdowns and then the passing touchdown uh, to JT Sanders. And there was a couple times that Hudson Card missed him. He could have had an even bigger day, but definitely his coming out party was OU last year, taking the first play of the game. Uh, from scrimmage to the house. And I think that from what I've seen from the Oklahoma defense is a lot of miscommunications. Uh, they really just haven't been able to cover the spread or the receivers, right? <laughs> they just can't cover at all. So um, I think that Sark is, is is one of the best, you know, offensive minds in college football. And he especially specializes in taking advantage of mismatches and miscommunications. And I think that Sark with the weapons he has can do that. And the one player on this offense that can do that better than anybody, better than even Bijan Robinson, because he can attack all areas of the field. Obviously, you're not going to send, you know, Bijan Robinson on a go route is Xavier Worthy. I think Xavier Worthy changes how this Oklahoma defense has to defend this Texas offense more than any other player on the offense will on Saturday. And as we saw last year on, you know, probably a more sound defensive unit up until this point, you know, maybe not better coached or, you know, better players, but a more sound defensive unit, he was able to to get off and, and, and Texas jumped out to an early lead. And I think from what I've seen from this Oklahoma defense, he'll be able to put up uh, a good amount of receiving yards and a couple touchdowns on Saturday as well, especially if Quinn Ewers comes back and starts. On the defensive side, if, you know, Dylan Gabriel doesn't start, but even if he does start, I think that Oklahoma is going to try to rely on the run game a little bit more than they have in previous weeks. You mentioned Eric Gray, and that's why my X-Factors on the defensive side are going to be Jalen Ford and DeMarvian Obershawn. Um, and I got two, and I just think that our linebackers in the run game, they've been outstanding. Jalen Ford did not have a tackle against ULM in the last four weeks. He's had 51 tackles. He's been all around the ball. I think DeMarvian Overshone has just been our best player on defense, period, not only in the run game, but being used as a pass rusher, uh, as a chess piece as well. I think if they can play downhill and limit that run game and not allow – uh, Oklahoma to win the line of scrimmage on the offensive side. I don't think that Oklahoma uh, will have too much to write home about in the passing game. But if you can stop the run game and, and, and make Jeff Levy call plays with one arm behind his back, make them throw the ball, especially uh, with a third string quarterback or or a second string quarterback, excuse me, or uh, Dylan Gabriel, who's had to miss time this week dealing with a head injury, then I think Texas is going to be in a good spot. Uh, to win this game. And as far as the matchup that we need to exploit, I talked about it uh, with Xavier Worthy. That secondary has not looked great this year covering anybody. And they had receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks at TCU running free all over that defense. Sark has the mind and, and the skill set as a play caller and the offensive mind to put his players in the position to do the same thing. And Texas has better athletes and better players at the skill positions 
than TCU does. And if Quinn Ewers comes back, they have a better quarterback <laughs> than TCU does. So I would expect Sark to be able to do some of the same things that TCU did, although Brent Venables being a great defensive mind, uh, we'll know he'll clean some of that stuff up, especially in a big rivalry game like this. But I don't think he'll be able to clean up everything in a span of seven days. Yeah, it just depends, man, because this team was playing really well the first three weeks. And it just seemed like, you know, okay, so the week that we lost to Kansas State, they had some pretty, like, just rough practices that week, uh, which I definitely think did not help, right, going in and, you know, being able to game plan. So, and I think that kind of has just bled over a little bit. And so I think, you know, you could see them potentially get back to the way that they were playing. If they get back to the way they were playing the first three weeks, if I'm the Texas offense, I'm a little concerned because, again, you know how crafty Brent Venables could be on the defensive side of the ball. You you did mention something. It's the athlete. Uh, the sorry, I've got Invisalign in now, and I can't hardly talk. It happens uh, to be all the, the time. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> the athletes uh, that Texas has compared to Oklahoma. Historically, Texas does have better athletes, right? They do have higher classes because it's just Texas. It's more so the development. I don't feel like the development for the past uh, 15 plus years has been there for Texas and like uh, Overshown. I, I don't feel like Overshown has been the player that we thought he would be at Texas. He was dang near a five star recruit. He was like, a, I think, a top 75 player, if I remember correctly, in that class. Yeah. What it changed, uh, and, I mean, he came out as a safety, though. He, he changed his position to linebacker. So, I mean, yeah. that has something to do with it. It does, but I mean, I, man, I, I just thought but your development a... point is right, though. You, you're you're yeah. right about the development. The, the classes, yeah. the, the teams that have perennially had top three classes have had a lot more success than teams like Texas. Yeah, which, uh, and again, I do think Texas is going in the right direction, and it might be tough. You guys might only win seven or eight games this year because I do think for both Texas and Oklahoma, that stretch of Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas is going to be tough. And so and we haven't played <laughs> Kansas State yet. Or yeah. TCU. Yeah. I don't, I think you guys have the right personnel to be able to shut down Kansas State and TCU. Uh, Kansas, though, I think is a different story because I think Kansas has their offensive line. Oh my God. Their offensive line is just so good. They've only allowed two sacks through five games this season, two sacks. Um, and then they allowed one of those last week, and the other one came like in the first game or something like that. So uh, I, I think Kansas is really good this year. Uh, I think Lance Leipold has that program going in the right direction but uh, you know it's in terms of the development for the Longhorns I think you guys are going in the right direction Sark definitely is trying to change the culture there um, again it just it takes time right uh, especially for a program like Texas where they've kind of been down you really got to weed out those guys that were not Sark guys you've got to weed them out of the program and you know what you know as good as well as I do that's going to take time it's hard there's going to be some rough patches but the thing that I think Texas fans should look at is uh, you don't want to take moral victories, right? I don't think anybody should take moral victories, but you should look at where you were at with Alabama. Alabama played their worst game of the season, probably what we will see their worst game of the season. And Texas played about their best game of the season. And, you know, you guys were able to play at their level. Like you guys were right there with them. And I have no doubt in my mind, if Quinn Ewers played that game, you guys probably would have won. Now, Unfortunately, I don't like when OU fans do this. The, oh, well, what if, you know, they were doing this uh, against Kansas State. Oh, well, if Dylan Gabriel would have hit this pass, we would have won the game. No, because then your defense would have had to go back out there, right? If Quinn Ewers is in that game, he makes a couple more passes. You never know. Maybe Bill O'Brien changes up his play calling at halftime and Bryce Young just goes off. I don't know. But 
what Texas fans can look at is, hey, you look at that game, you look at how hard your players play, look at how they're building throughout the season off that game, right? Are they going to continue to uh, ride the high or are they going to look at it and progress better, right? Normally what we've seen from Texas is they go play a team really tough, they're told how good they are, and then they come out and just stink it up right after. I want to see a Texas team that is more disciplined and comes out every single week and does not play like they just played Alabama. I want to see them start over every single week, and I want to see them progress, and I want to see the players get better, right? That's how Texas will truly become back right and slowly you'll start winning more and more games and that's what OU is going to have to do now I think it'll happen a little faster because I think the foundation was at least a little better than what it is at Texas so I think you'll probably see OU in the next two or three years be back in the college football playoffs contending for national championship I think Texas is probably still four or five years away because I think Sark needs a full four years to get all of his guys in that program, especially on the offensive side of the ball, to be able to implement what he wants to do. Texas has got a lot of really good things going for him. They do. Now, the question is, can the boosters stay out of it? No. All right, I'm going to ask you, (laughs) uh, Preston. (laughs) I'm going to ask you before we get out of here, uh, and you can give me two different predictions on the game based on two different starting quarterbacks if you want to. People do like to pull receipts on these shows. Uh, but I have to ask you, you know, your thoughts on the game. Who wins the game, Texas or Oklahoma, and what's your score prediction? Yeah, so I was actually doing some homework on this earlier, and however you want to look at it, OU has played since 2010, they've played Texas 13 times. One of those was the Big 12 championship game. If you want to take that one out, they've played 12 times in a Red River rivalry. OU is 9-3 and three in those matchups. Only one of those has been a blowout. Primarily, if you look up and down the board since 2010, these games have all been one-score games. And I think you and I talked about this at the beginning of the season. This is a very hard game to call because, oh, you could come in with no wins. Texas could come in with no wins. The other team could be undefeated, and the team with no wins could win the game and look like the better team because it's a rivalry game. If Dylan Gabriel plays, I think Oklahoma comes out on top. I think they just have I think they I think they have Texas's number. I think the game is a little bit more in points. Again, you're going to see the issues with the Texas defense, but I think OU can put up the points to uh keep ahead of Texas and I think they win 48-45, which has been a score that we have seen uh, several times in the past in this game. Shout out Gus Johnson in the earthquake code. <laughs> if it's Dylan Gabriel doesn't play, but the defense plays well, I think Texas wins this game uh, probably 42 35, 42, no, no, 42 35 is too high. 42 to probably 27. All right. So I talked about. Um, on an episode earlier in the week, bucking the trend, right? Texas had uh, won a game, then lost a game, then won a game, then lost a game. They haven't won back-to-back games this year. When were they going to buck the trend? And it has to start uh, this weekend against Oklahoma and the Sooners in the Red River rivalry. Well, we have to buck another trend for, I think, almost the last decade, if not longer. This has been a one-possession game in each game every year. 
this will be the first time in a long time it will not be a one possession game. If Dylan Gabriel plays, Texas will win 41 to 28. If Dylan Gabriel does not play, Texas will win 41 to 24. So either way, it will be a double digit game. Look, it's time. It was supposed to be time last year. And the way that Sark came out, you know, we thought it was. And then we learned that uh, he's not as good in the second half as he is in the first half. Um, but I, I just think that you have to come back this year. Um, and, and like plenty of people have said on, on the show this week and, and just about Oklahoma, they're wounded right now. Right? This is the first time in decades we've seen an Oklahoma team look like this. And although we're not going to get the same effort that they played with against TCU, we're not going to get the same effort that they played with against Kansas State. We're going to bring it to a level that I just think they simply can't match, especially without their starting quarterback. And that's why I think Texas comes out on top in this edition of the Red River rivalry. And unfortunately, Oklahoma's so down bad. I can't say that we'll see him in the rematch in the Big 12 championship game in December. Preston, I'm really grateful that you came on the show to talk a little bit about the Oklahoma Sooners, the Texas Longhorns and the Red River rivalry, but please tell Longhorn Nation, whoever is watching this episode or listening on audio, where they can find you and all of your great work. Yeah, so you guys can find me on Twitter at the PG Show underscore. Uh, I'm really active on Saturdays talking about football. Uh, you guys can find me on YouTube, the PG Show, all one word. You guys can find me on Apple, Google, or Spotify at the PG Show, all one word. We're making lots of great content. We just closed our first NIL deal actually with one of the OU football players, uh, Jaden Knowles. He is a walk-on running back. He played for us last year. Uh, he's been recovering from a knee injury, uh, but he does feel like he's going to be a little more explosive. I'm excited to see him on the field. We are looking at potentially getting more of those working with a player from the University of Kansas. I'm really excited to break into that one, but we cover all things college football, not just OU. I know you guys might see my background if you're watching on YouTube, but I, I, I'm, I know you fan. I'm going to talk about them, but I do cover all things college football, and I'm going to be fair. I'm not just going to ride Oklahoma uh, to be this, you know, falsely dominant team uh, every single year like some people do. So, yeah, and he can't this year with them being three and two and being three and three after the Red River rivalry. <laughs> but Preston, uh, definitely uh, somebody I admire in this business, and. Uh, one of the best people talking about all things college football. So make sure y'all go check them out. Texas, we got to win this game. And I'll see y'all on Monday after we do. Hook them and peace.